All right. All right. Thank you, Pastor Anita. Um, today is the marks the beginning of. I think today is or tomorrow is. Tomorrow is Solar, uh, which is in Korean is uh, the Chinese New Year. It's the lunar calendar, and so a lot of people. Uh, usually travel during this time down to their hometowns and they have family reunions and things like that. And one of the things that commonly takes place twice a year when Korean families get together is something called Chesa. This is where Koreans, they bow down and they worship. They don't really worship like we worship, but they still bow down. And it's still a form of worship because they are bowing down to their ancestors, whether at the grave or to a picture. And what they do is they will have food set up. Now, I don't know. Last time I checked, a dead person can't eat. All right. And uh, they have food. They have the best food set up. They present it real nicely on the table and they present it to their ancestors. And then they even pour alcohol. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and. And in the Old Testament, actually, there are similar, very similar things that took place in the worship of God. Uh, there were things called drink offerings, you know. And, and uh, anyway, Koreans, uh, they do this, they partake in this because it's tradition. And they've done this for many years. Uh, but as your pastor, I want to make it clear, whether you're a newcomer or you've been here with us for a while, all right, do not take part in Jesa. If you've never made your stand, this is what I would suggest. Talk to the top male family member. Usually it's the kunapa. All right. He's the oldest brother of the family that's still alive or your grandfather, whoever's the oldest man alive. You go up to him and you respectfully say, because I'm a Christian and because of my beliefs, I am going to refrain from participating in Chesa. All right. And I don't, I don't know how they're going to respond. All right. I, I told that to my Kanabaji about five years ago when I first came to Korea. All right. And he understood. And, and he said, all right. And, you know, he, he, he just kind of told me to stand in the back and just, and just watch. You know, and so that's what I do. I stand in the back and I'm just praying in tongues and breaking off the idolatrous spirit off my family. And my heart breaks for my little cousins because they're forced to do it and, you know, of course, their hearts are not behind it, but because they're still participating in that idolatry, uh, in the second of the Ten Commandments, there is a curse upon the sin of idolatry. And you have to understand that those curses still affect us. When we dabble with idolatry or occultism in any form whatsoever, it opens up a doorway for demonic spirits to come and harass your home, come and harass your physical body, come and torment your soul. All right? And so my heart goes out to my little cousins and... Uh, and I'm telling you, man, my, my, my little cousins, you know, they don't know Jesus yet. And, you know, but, you know, that's going to change. It's going to change. And we'll, we'll continue to pray. And I want you to take a stand for Jesus and refuse and refrain respectfully. All right. Don't just, don't just, you know, when they start, say, nope. All right. Then your kunabaji might smack you. And, you know, it might make a big family scene. So make sure you let them know ahead of time. 
all right? And then you stand your ground and say, I'm not going to participate in this. I love the family, but I'm not going to participate in this, all right? We want every single one of you to be spiritually clean. You hear what I'm saying? To be spiritually pure. You can't dabble with other spirits and expect to be clean. You know what I mean? You got to keep your worship of God pure. So if you've participated in it already, be sure to repent of that sin, confess it before God, and renounce it and turn your back on it. All right? And then the Lord, the blood of Jesus will cover you and forgive you of that sin and give you a new beginning. You guys hear me? Amen? All right, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. I encourage everybody, bring your Bible to church. All right. If you don't have it today, don't feel condemned. But let me just encourage you nicely. Bring your Bibles to church every single week. Warrior cannot go out without a sword. All right, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Everybody say, sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, or in the NIV says the spirit of sonship, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Everybody say, Abba, Father. Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs or co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Everybody say amen. Amen. That is a good word. The Bible says that God has not given you a spirit to make you fall back into fear. But the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know, every born again Christian who has trusted in the name of Jesus is a child of the most high God. But what you will notice in the church is there's a lot of Christians that may know that in their head, but they don't experience that in their life. They don't understand that in their heart. And so although technically they know they are a child of God. They live as slaves or they live as orphans. And there are, there's this fear and distance that they have with God. And the reason I believe that the church, they fall into this kind of spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You know, fear of being uh, punished by God. Fear of uh, being exposed by God. Fear of whatever, right? Falling back into fear. The reason why we fall back into fear is not because of ignorance so much. I believe it's because of the religious spirit. Because the religious spirit will say the opposite. They will actually take this verse and somehow say the opposite. The religious spirit will tell you 
you better watch out. Because if you keep sitting in that way, God's going to get you. Or when you sin, a person who is walking in sonship will understand that they can go straight to the Father the moment they sin and know that they will be forgiven and accepted. The religious spirit will say, no, 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 not so fast. You go and do some of these rituals. You go and do some penance. You go and make sure that you feel sorry about your sin. Make sure you come before God feeling completely sorry for your sin. If, if you're not sure about that, well, you better take some time. Make sure you read the Bible a little more. You pray a little more. Make sure you come before God feeling sorry about what you've done. And the Bible just simply doesn't tell us that. It's important that we understand the magnitude of our sin. We understand the seriousness of our sin. But nowhere in the Bible do I see Jesus or do I see the apostles teaching us to dwell there in that place of guilt and shame. You know, even in the, in the story of the prodigal son, uh, you have a son who understands he's a son. Because he knows that he has inheritance. So he goes and gets the inheritance. And you know what he does with the inheritance? He squanders it in wild living, the Bible says. And then there's a famine that hits the land. He goes broke. He loses everything. And he starts to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. And he starts thinking to himself, man, my, the servants in my father's house live better than this. They eat better things than this. Let me go back to my father. Maybe he'll take me back. All right. And as that prodigal son returns to the father, the Bible says that the father ran to the son. It is the only place in the Bible where we have an image of God running. I mean, why would God need to run? He's God. He's omnipresent. You know, he just says, bam, and he's over there, you know. But, you know, obviously this is a parable. And in the parable, the father of the prodigal son, he is running to his son. And it's not to go over there and clothesline him, all right? <laughs> or he's not waiting around and then he sees the son coming. All right, I'm going to wait right here and watch my son hang his head in shame. And I'm going to savor every moment of it. The father doesn't do that. The father doesn't say, hey, stop right there. Don't even touch me. Can't believe, I, I know what you've been doing. Where's all the inheritance I gave you? You squandered it, didn't you? Man, you need, to, you need to understand, you need to feel guilty about what you've done. Man, the father doesn't do any of that. It's actually quite scandalous. It's so scandalous, the older brother recognizes it. And he is filled with anger. You know what the other older brother would have done if he was in charge of the welcoming committee? <laughs> now, you, can't, you can just imagine what the older brother would have done. But the father doesn't do that. The father just embraces his son. He runs toward his son. And then takes him from a place where he's thinking, can you just make me a butler? Just, just let, me, let me in and let me eat because I can't live like this anymore. Let, just make me a servant. And the father says, no, you are my son. Once you become my son, you cannot lose that identity. 
My name is upon you. You have my last name. And just because you went and did all these crazy things does not change that. You are still my son. The Bible says you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know, when Christians, they mess up or they do something wrong. It's important that we listen to the witness of the Holy Spirit. What does verse 16 say? The spirit himself bears witness. And he's constantly bearing this witness. He doesn't just do it once and say, hey, Jen, you are a child of God. Goodbye. <laughs> no, Holy Spirit's there with you. And he says, Jin, you're, you're a child of God. You know, even when Jin is doing something stupid or Doug is doing something sinful, Holy Spirit's still right there and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're a child of the most high. Hey, this is not you. This is not who you are. Do you know who you are? You know, and, and in Christianity, we get so focused on the do and not the who. That a lot of times, even in, in um, getting someone restored, we're so focused on them having to do things to get restored. Because the, the religious spirit will always try to have you do good things to outweigh the bad things that you've done. But the father's not like that. The father always points to your identity. No matter how badly you've jacked things up. He's so gracious. He is so gracious. And, uh, and I, I want to I challenge you guys. When you guys see a minister of the gospel, a true bona fide minister of the gospel, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, that person may not have everything put together. And in fact, you find out later, that person has embezzled funds. That person has had an adulterous affair, an emotional affair. That person has jacked things up. Watch your heart. Because a lot of times we fall into the older brother mentality. Because we see ministers, other leaders, pastors in the body of Christ try to restore that person. And a lot of times we're jumping on them and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? No. They need to be punished. They need to understand. And, and that, look, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I'm not arguing against that. I don't like cheapening grace. I don't think we should just say, all right, you know, all right, you know, you've done that, but we forgive you. You can keep ministering. No, I don't believe that. That's why at our church, we have a process of restoration for any leader that sins in particular ways that the leadership deems that, you know what? This person's not healthy. You know what? This is not a spontaneous, you know, sin that they, oh, oops, by accident, I, I sinned. We, when we see sins that certain leaders do, we understand that's a heart issue. And with that heart issue, we'd rather have that person deal with that heart issue first before they serve. So you know what? We're going to put you in the process of restoration. So I'm all for, I'm all for, you know, making sure that that person is healthy before they serve again. But a lot of times the body of Christ, they are so harsh when ministers of the gospel fall. They have the attitude of the older brother rather than the the father. You know, one thing that I'm finding out, the more I walk as a Christian, the more I, I walk out my spiritual walk, 
is I find out that God is incredibly, amazingly gracious and kind. Now, as a Calvinist, I also understand that God is also amazingly scary to those who are not his. And you see that rhetoric even in the Gospels. I mean, Jesus, you know, he's, he's not very nice to the Pharisees. Because other than Nicodemus and a few others that were really searching for the kingdom, most of those Pharisees, Jesus saw them and said, you are, you, you don't, they're like, we know, we are from our father Abraham. How can you tell us that? And Jesus is like, you're not, your father's not Abraham. Your father is the devil. He's the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. I send you prophets and you kill them. You know, and he, and he dis, Jesus was calling out that the spirit that was on those Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, was the same spirit that was upon the, the ancestors that killed all the prophets. Toward those who are his, God is incredibly gracious. And those who are not, it's going to be scary. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And we have to understand that one, we proclaim and we, you know, because the church has gotten so uh, Arminian. And by the way, man, my study of Greek, tell you right now, man, it just confirms so many of these uh, reform views about predestination. I mean, it's really hard for you to argue when you get into the Greek. I mean, it just is simple and clear. And I will actually preach very clearly uh, in the future about this, about this topic. Because, you know, I feel like, you know, I kind of mentioned it in passing a lot of times. And you guys are like, oh, that's optional. Okay, I just really believe that that's something that God's restoring into the church. Because the church is going to need it for us to really walk through some stuff. I mean, the, the perseverance of the saints, I mean, you have to understand that's biblical. The Arminian would say, you choose God, and if you reject him, then you lose yourself. You might just lose your salvation. You need to get rebaptized. You need to get born again, again. Nah, you just can't, you can't find that in the Bible. Um, God is just so incredibly gracious and what I realized is the best identity for God, the best view of God that sums up this gracious kindness of God is his fatherhood. That's why the Bible says he has put his spirit, the spirit of sonship into us. And that spirit, the Holy Spirit always bears witness with our spirit. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. Why? Because if you're a child of God, what does that make God? Your father. The spirit's job is continually to remind you of who you are and who God is to you. You know, the key to moving in signs, wonders, miracles consistently. Right. And, and, and moving in greater levels of signs, wonders and miracles is your identity. Is what Pastor John was talking about last night. It's like Neo, right? You got to understand who you really are. You know, and instead of, when he understood a new level of who he was, instead of running from the agents, what did he do? 
he stood his ground. And he said, stop. He said, no to the bullets. You know what I'm saying? And the bullets fell to the ground. You know, in a, you know and I know, I know that's Zen Buddhism. Don't worry about it. I, I know all the issues, okay? But as a Christian, man, when we understand our greater authority, because, you know, when we started to have the outpouring of the Spirit here at New Philly about five years ago, right? There was all kinds of uh, attacks of the enemy. And there was a lot of confusion. And there was a lot of, uh, is that God? Uh, yeah, I think it is. No, no, actually, it's not God. And, and is that God? Is that the devil? No, that's actually God. And then the people will come in and they prophesy all kinds of stuff. I mean, there was no, no, there was no safety. You're going you're gonna to really feel safe. The spiritual purity wasn't really there yet. And it, it was because we were just beginning. We're just starting out. Oh, shoot. Where, where are I going with that? Yeah, so at that time, everyone who got the outpouring of the Spirit, they didn't really know who they were yet. They didn't understand that, that they, in their identity, can disallow certain things. Right? And so we, we would see the enemy, and we would pray in tongues, and if the enemy didn't go, we'd get scared. And girls would go home, and they would, I mean, you had girls, like, going to sleep, and, and they would turn their heads toward the other side of the bed, and there would be a demon right there looking at them. It would manifest in that, in that strong of a way. Or they would see demons dancing around the ceiling. You know, uh, you know, men had all kinds of uh, different kinds of attacks as well. You know, um, yeah, I won't point it all out. It'll freak you out a little bit, right? But the more we started rising up in our identity, the more we started to disallow this stuff. And we realized that God doesn't want us to run away from the enemy. He wants us to stand our ground. What does the Bible say? Resist the enemy and stand firm. It doesn't say, run fast. <laughs> it says, stand firm. Why? And even the armor of God, there is no back plate. Back plate of love. I don't know. Back plate of, you know, whatever, truth, right? There is nothing like that. Because you you, the armor of God was never designed to have you give your backside to the devil. You're always supposed to run toward him. And so the Bible actually says, put up the shield of faith by which you can stop all the fiery darts of the enemy. You know, one key in stopping demonic attack in your life is having a strong mind. It's weird, but it's having a strong mind. Having a strong mind because that equates to a strong faith. Because the shield of faith, you put up the shield of faith and it stops all the fiery darts of the enemy. It's just like Neo, right? You put up that shield of faith, right? You say, no! And then it, it all falls to the ground. It's having a strong mind because you have to understand this word. The Bible says faith comes from hearing the word of God. The more you hear the word of God, the more your faith is strengthened because you understand the object of your faith. Faith is only as good as the object of your faith. If you just have faith and faith, it doesn't go anywhere. The object of your faith has to be clear and strong. You got to have clear revelation in that. key to stopping demonic attack man it's a strong mind but that's not my message i'm gonna focus back on my message here and it is to talk about god as your father our god is a god who identifies himself as our father and you know what that revelation of god 
It didn't fully come until Jesus came. It wasn't that God wasn't father before. It's just that it takes a son to show you the love of the father. Just like Pastor, Pastor Myung are preaching in the summertime. It takes a son to show you what a son's about. It takes a son to show you what the father's all about. Right? And so Jesus came in the flesh as a son of God to show us what God the father is really like. So it's really interesting. Steve Traw had uh, shared with Aaron and I about some statistics from the Bible. And he was saying that the church, especially the Asian American church, we have a, we have a unbalanced view of God, an unbalanced image of God. And he said, how would you, how do, how do Asian American Christians best, or even just Asians in general, even in Korea, right? How do they best sum up the image of God? And I was like, uh, I don't know, righteous and good and, and he's like, no, 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 no. I'll tell you what it is. It's holy. Asians focus on the holiness of God. And they always see God as holy. That's why when they sin, they feel so distant from God. And it takes so long. They have these long seasons of being backslidden. because It's not because they have this drive to just sin. But it's because they feel so distant and afraid of God. Because they see God primarily as holy. And what does a holy God demand? He demands holiness. You know, it's like the John Wesley emphasis. The holiness movement. The holy club, you know. They were called Methodists for a reason. Because they methodalized how to, how to live a holy life. Alright, and I personally, I, I respect and honor John Wesley has contributed. But I'm not with John Wesley. Alright, I'm with George Whitfield. Right, the reform side, man, they had it together. And I'm going to tell you right now, George Whitfield schooled John Wesley on how to preach open air. John Wesley was an Anglican. He died an Anglican, by the way. There's all kinds of religious uh, spirits that he had to fight, he had to discern. And until his death, he really didn't, he didn't start his own Methodist uh, denomination. It was his followers that did. But during, during, after he had this uh, encounter with the Moravians on a ship where he thought he was going to die, you know, the Moravians were like the IHOP of that day. Right, and, you know, Mike Bickle loves the Moravians. Right, and they were praying people, and they were. It was a storm, and everyone's gonna die. Oh, they're like, I'm gonna die! And Moravians are like, "Peace, brother. <laughs> Jesus is here with us. It'll be all right." And he was so amazed by their peace and calm that he went and visited uh, their monasteries, and he started to spend some time with them, try to learn from them. All right, let me get not get t- sidetracked. <laughs> But yeah, Asians, we focus so much on God's holiness. And, it, and, and Steve Traw was offering an explanation. He was saying it's because of our Confucian traditions. Confucianism has us focus like the way we see our kunapa or the way we see our abaji. You know, in Confucianism, you just say, ne, ne, yes, 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 and you just obey. You're never to question your father. You're never to question an authority figure. Your opinion doesn't count. It doesn't matter. You know? And so, uh, and Koreans, they are so steeped in this culture, the parents expect that. 
So when children go outside of that, they get a little crazy. I mean, like a different spirit comes out. Right. And we've been walking some of our church members through that. Right. Because, you know, we don't obey men. We obey God. Right. And we honor our mother and father. But when they start tripping and and trying to control and manipulate the lives of our sons and daughters here. All right. I encourage those sons and daughters, be respectful, be honorable. All right. But you are to obey God, not man. You need to follow the will of God for your life. And so don't skip that. Don't skip honoring your parents, but wait for them to change. But if they don't change, you move forward. This Confucianism has so influenced our Christianity that a lot of times our focus on God is God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. We take the, the, the revelation chant, right? And we just say, holy, holy, holy. We could just stay there all day. Holy, holy, holy. Koruk, koruk, koruk. Holy, 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 holy. <laughs> Let me give you a little Bible trivia fact that Steve Tron highlighted for me. And I went, by the way, and I counted because I wanted to verify whether he was saying it's true. Okay. He said that Jesus' perfect theology in two feet. He has an opportunity during his three years to show us the image of God who is in heaven. And Jesus chose one image and one image alone consistently. And that was God as father. In the gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus addresses God as father 43 times. A lot of times he didn't just say my father. Many a times he said, your father, your father in heaven will see what you've done. He will reward you. Don't worry about your life, the cares of this world. Your father provides for these birds of the air, lilies of the field. How much more will he provide for you? 43 times he says, father, refers to God as father. And uh, I got to the gospel, Mark and Luke. And altogether, these first three gospels. Jesus refers to God 64 times as father. And I didn't get the gospel of John, man. John was just like a whole nother level. I was so many. I couldn't, I didn't have enough time. Okay. <laughs> so if any of you guys get, get a chance to do it, go, you can go through it and then see where Jesus is addressing God. You can count how many times it's in the gospel of John. It's a lot in John as well. Okay. But just in the first three gospels, 64 times father. My father, your father. And do you know how many times Jesus addresses God as holy? Take a guess. Three, five. Once. John seventeen eleven. Let me read it for you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The one time he refers to God as holy, he sticks on Father there. So even the, time, the one time he calls God holy, he calls him Father. That's, that, that is a small piece of Bible trivia that should rock your world. It should show you just how unbalanced Asian American Christian or Asian Christians in general, we have to renew our perspective of God. Through the teaching of Jesus. 
our focus is on, in an unhealthy way on, on God as this creator maker who is holy. Who, who's got this big stick in the sky. And he's just waiting for you to mess up. And it's unfortunate that our, our pastors, our churches, they've kind of perpetuated this. But I'm here to try to break apart this unbalanced view of God. Our God is Father. Say, our Father. Father. You know, because God is your Father, I'm going to talk about some other concepts of what a father does toward his son or daughter. You know, many people in the body of Christ, they cannot understand and grasp the concept of God's favor. That's what I noticed. I speak with many pastors. I I go and speak at different churches. And I noticed that when I bring up the concept of God's favor... People are foreign and alien to it. They look at me like, what are you talking about? Favor. Why would God ever do that? He might do, you know, uh, J- Joseph might get that in the Bible. David might get that because he's David. But why would God ever give me favor? But yet the Bible says the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The Lord is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. Why does God give you favor? Because he is your father. See, if you don't grasp the sonship and the father identity, your identity as a son and God as a father, you will never be able to consistently understand that the favor of God does not come for just a circumstance. It lasts for a lifetime. What did Isaiah 61 say? We come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And the day of vengeance of our God. The year of the Lord's favor for the church. The day of vengeance for the world. And we we need to have that kind of balanced preaching sometimes, right? Because the world is just like partying it up like, you know, in Noah's flood. And they don't have any idea that judgment is coming. But we we need to proclaim. Even if they don't repent, we need to proclaim that. And say judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You know why? Because God loves that. It readies, it readies those who are going to be judged for judgment. Because the more you say, God is, believe in the name of Jesus, he's going to come and judge the world in righteousness. The more you say that, and the more they turn from that, the more they are made ready for the wrath of God. God's favor lasts for a lifetime because he is your father in heaven. God's goodness You know, God is a good God. And all throughout our youth group days, we were taught, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God is good. Man, but I never heard any ministers preach on the goodness of God. It will always be on, do your quiet time, do your quiet time, stop sinning, do your quiet time. Hey, I'm I'm right now, man, I'm accurately summing up the vast majority of sermons I heard growing up, going to retreats, Sunday services, is do your quiet time. Man, let me, let me tell you something, man. That's like, that's like a John Wesley kind of emphasis, right? This methodical. Look, man, there are people that do their quiet time every single day. And by the way, sometimes doing your quiet time consistently has more to do with temperament than it does with your discipline. But some people are just naturally geared to enjoy a routine. And other people, they thrive on new things. 
seeing new things. And we got to understand, we got to embrace both. But both people have to learn how to be disciplined. But some people are going to find it easier, not because they're more spiritually mature, but because they're a Mennonite. <laughs> Sorry, John. I saw you and I had to put that in. Man, here's what I do, man. Here's what I do. You, you probably never heard me preach a message on do your quiet time or have your quiet time, the importance of devotions. Why? Because discipline doesn't necessarily change the heart. Religious discipline doesn't change the heart. You know what changes the heart consistently? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So weird. I've done ministry so, so many years as a college minister. You have to understand, I wasn't a pastor. I've been a pastor maybe four years, right? But I was a college pastor before that, college minister, a Campus Crusade staff, for like six, seven years before that. I'm constantly trying to reach young people at Columbia University, one of the most liberal campuses in America, right? I'm trying to change them. And I noticed that religious discipline wasn't changing their heart. Because you know what, what happened? They would be serving on leadership. They would do it because they're a leader. I have to do this. This is the right thing for me to do. Everybody's watching. I better be a good leader. The moment they graduate, they go buck wild. Prime example is Diddy King. Let's call this brother out. After David, David was on leadership with Canvas Crusade in every way, man. He was a, he was a Chongdan. He was a Depyodan, right? You were on Depyodan too, bro? Where you go? Is he backsliding again? No, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. You can see this on video later, did he? Uh, this homie, he graduated. He didn't have campus crusade structure, religious structure around him. What happened? He just went bug wild. Why? Because his heart hadn't fully changed. It had been truly transformed. I'm telling you right now, man. I, my, my praise leader in youth group. I, I think I've told you this story maybe a couple times. He, he used to do his quiet times. He used to lead worship for us every Sunday. And when he got to college, you know what? He went buck wild. And I realized later on when I, when, I, when I met up with him after college, he's not even a Christian. He's telling me all this stuff. I'm like, man, you're not a Christian. He's like, yeah, I know. So we, we, you tricked us. <laughs> and you did a pretty good job. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, that's what I did. I had to do what I do. And this, this is why youth group girls, they get preyed on. Because there's wolves that get in and the leader, the shepherd doesn't do anything to, to stop those wolves. You know, how, how many, like, there's nothing on drummers, but praise team drummers. They prey on cute little girls in youth groups and college groups. It's always a drummer too. I'm not saying it's you, bro. And they're, you know, and they're, they're go out and, you know, well, the rest of the praise team didn't show up. So, you know, we hung out for a little bit. And then we went over and we watched the movie at my place. The next thing, you know, he takes advantage of the girl. Either coerces her or rapes her. You know, it's so, it's, don't, don't tell me though. I, I'm a pastor. I hear the stories. And, it, and there's no safety. Because we're so focused on religious discipline. We have to understand that we need discipline. 
But we can't depend on discipline to change the heart. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The, the 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost, they were scared stiff. They were up in that upper room, and they were scared. I bet you they didn't even pray loud. They were praying very quietly in the upper room. It was so quiet that they heard that wind come. <laughs> if they were praying like, they would have just gone on praying. They would have not even heard anything. But I bet you they were praying quiet because they were scared stiff. But when the outpouring of the Spirit came and cloven tongues of fire fell upon them, they got as bold as a lion. They came out and started to believe their true identity. Because there's a grace that comes when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit comes, there's gifts that are released. Charismata, these grace gifts. Unmerited favor is one way you can translate charismata. You know, our God is Father. And I want us to shift our focus on God as Father and on ourselves as sons. Um, You know, in the Bible, God says to Satan one time, he says, Have you considered my servant Job? said, have you seen Job? Okay, I know, we know what happened later on, right? But let's focus on just that, that moment. Isn't that that so cool? God is bragging about Job. In other words, God is saying, I am so proud of Job. He's the real deal. He is a good man. Why, why does God do stuff like that? Because he's your father. He sees himself as your father. And he is in heaven and saying, I am so proud of you, my son. I am so proud of you, my daughter. You know, when David and Rebecca had their kid, their, their baby recently, they had, you know, they had this beautiful baby named Judah. I think my sister's holding him in the back there. My sister's always got the baby. Watch out, man. If there were another baby, she'll have two babies. If there's a third baby, she'll somehow manage to hold that baby too. Um, but I remember, man, I remember David when he first introduced me to Judah. You know, he, David was so, he was so proud of his baby. And I, I was thinking, well, I'm not going to do that for my baby. But he came, he's, he's like, <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I'm not really good with babies. So, hey, Judah. <laughs> What's up? Oh, it's so cute. And I try to like imitate what other people do. Oh, so cute. Uh, so cute. Yeah, babe. All right. No, baby ain't doing nothing for me. <laughs> but I, I'm not so good with babies. But even though I'm there trying to adore the baby, that whole time, David is just so beaming. He's just like, my baby, this is my son. Wow. And I believe what we see in David and Rebecca for their son Judah is just a small glimpse of how God feels about you. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
There's this gospel song, right? That first time I heard it, it really touched my heart. And it's real simple. It's a black gospel song. It says, he saw the best in me. When everyone else around me could only see the worst in me. I said he saw the best in me. And the whole song is just talking about how God sees the best in this gentleman. And you know, in in the in the black community, you know, in the African American community, you know, a lot of young Christian men, they 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 do a lot of a lot of sinful things. You know, they 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 jack things up. A lot of times it's because they grew up without a father. And so it's not all on, on them. It's not their fault. Religious people don't understand that. They're always condemning. Condemning the, the black community and, and always judging them. This prejudice and saying, you know. But, you know, our God in heaven, he understands. And he touches the African-American community in a way that they are able to express and write these amazing songs about his grace. And when's the last time you heard a song like, he saw the best in me from the white, like a white community, you know. Because he who has been forgiven much loves much. And man, I'm just hearing the song. And I haven't done, I haven't shot nobody. I haven't dealt drugs. I've never smoked weed. You know, I've never done anything, you know. I never robbed a store. I've been robbed, but I never robbed nobody. <laughs> but when I'm hearing this song, I just felt so connected with this brother. Like as if I was there with him going into the liquor stores and robbing and holding people up. And later on getting God's forgiveness. And he's like, even in all of that, he saw the best in me. You know, a lot of times in uh, African American churches, you go to church, and if people start gossiping, and they find out what you did on the weekend, or they find out who you've been hanging out with, you know, they gossip, the, the gossip spreads throughout the whole church, and then you just feel so, like, like an outcast. You can never fa- show your face there again at church. And in a similar way, that happens in Korean churches. That happens in current churches. Because everything's great until your son or daughter does something stupid. And it spreads like gossip through the community. And then your parents can't go back to that church. That's jacked up. That's not true Christianity. That's just religious hype. That's why, man, I hate the religious spirit. Because the religious spirit shuts the kingdom of God, the door of the kingdom of God on men's faces. And says, the key to getting in is through your quiet times. The key to getting in is through living a holy life. And you don't have it. So you can never be close with God. So get out. Stay away until you know how to clean up your act. And Jesus said, nah, that's not my heart. Who did Jesus spend his free time with? He didn't spend it with Pharisees being like, yo, come on, y'all. Come on, man. We all got it together. We know all the right answers. Let me hang out with y'all. Let me talk theology. Let me talk. Nah, he went to the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. Those that got outcasted out of the synagogue. People gossip about them all the time. Jesus said, let me go over your house, Zacchaeus. 
little short little tax collector. Jesus, I'm coming over your house. Jesus showed us the father. But unfortunately, a lot of us, once we become Christians, we do a poor job of showing the father to others. And I think we really need to shift that. Because our God is not there waiting for the prodigal son to come home with a memeo in his hand. He's got a heart to embrace. He's running toward that son. That's why the Bible says in Romans uh, 2.4, it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. You know what I found? True repentance. True repentance. Because, you, know, uh, like, you know, you have a powerful sermon that goes out and it convicts people and says, you need to repent of your sin and all this stuff. Now, I believe in doing that. I believe that's powerful, especially for people that are godless. Especially when you're doing an a altar call for non-Christians. You know, you want to you wanna have them repent and then believe the gospel. But when you start talking to the church and you take the same approach and that's the same approach to get repentance out of them, you're not going to get very far. You know why? Because conviction and condemnation and truth doesn't lead people to permanent repentance. It's his kindness that does. You know, uh, I'll just close with this. When I was in Australia uh, three and a half years ago, uh, I did this revival retreat thing. And uh, one of the young men, I got to spend a little bit of time and I talked to him, I ministered to him. And he had been part of a little Australian gang, he called it. It was like a little Asian gang he was part of. And uh, he had done some stuff that he wasn't very uh, happy about. and, And he felt very distant from God. And so, you know, I just led him through some healing deliverance prayers and broke off the shame, broke off the guilt. I just started declaring his true identity, prayed and ministered to him, right? And uh, he looked at me and he's like, man, I just feel God's love. I'm never going to be the same again. And that's because I kept saying, you'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. So he's like, yeah, I'll never be the same again or something like that. And and then uh, after the retreat, there was a, uh, uh, there was a, um, a Sunday service, right? Well, I go to Sunday service, and I have to preach again. And I see him walk in late, right? And uh, I don't know if it was before or after the service. He tells me, I think it was during the service. He comes up to me, and he says, and he says, Pastor Christian, um, I, I I know that I told you that I, I'm going to follow Jesus from now, but uh, I just got to be honest. Last, last night, I went out with my friends, and uh, I smoked weed again. Right? And I just looked at him, and I said, really? <laughs> I didn't say a word. I just looked at him with these eyes of love. And I'm, I got my mind on the sermon or something like that, so I'm just like, all right, hurry up, all right. But anyway, I'm, I'm just telling you the true story, right? No, no, but I try to look at him with eyes of love. And you know what he said? He, out of his own initiative, he said, 
But I guarantee you it will never happen again. It will never, it will never happen. And he started getting teary-eyed. He said, it's never going to happen again. And I said, it's all right, bro. Come on, let me show you some love right here. It's all right. I just hugged him. He had, he had said the words of repentance at the retreat. But it wasn't until he messed up, came to church, confessed to me, and I just responded with love, that he saw the kindness of God. And he gained a heart of repentance on Sunday. And that young man, he stayed in touch with me afterwards. And you know what he did? He brought his uh, non-Christian friends to church, to Friday, their Friday version of Friday Fire. What do what you guys call it? Friday? It used to be something from heaven. Huh? Okay. Friday night prayer. Yeah. And so he just started bringing all of these friends. And people were getting saved through him. His friends were getting saved. One of them is preaching. Hallelujah. Tell you right now, man. Religion. uh, Let me say religion. When I say religion, I don't mean religion in the way that uh, the book of James talks about it. Okay? We understand that there's a way to define religion where it's good. And religion is something that we... We, we, we want structure. We have religion here in a sense because we have structure. We need structure. Right? But when you start depending on structure to change the heart or to bring revelation of how God really is, you're missing it. It is God's grace. It is his kindness. It is the outpouring of his spirit that transforms the heart. That takes the person who feels distant from God. And the next moment they're at the altar and crying their eyes out because they just feel the love of God all, all around them. They just feel like the prodigal son who just came back home. Love of God just surrounding them. Our God is Father. And he has favor upon you. He wants to show you his goodness. And he is preparing a mighty inheritance for every person that relates to him as a son. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes. Father, we just uh, praise you and thank you that